Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Whether you are in this room with us or you are watching this worship service and experiencing this worship from a phone or computer or DVD or a tablet, any kind of device that you're able to watch this on, we want to say welcome. We're glad that you're joining us for worship today. This is week two of doing our worship remotely and pre-recorded. So even as we begin, I want to give a special thanks to our audio-visual technician, Bill Capel, who's done a wonderful job these past couple of weeks, really few weeks as we've been recording our worship now uh, for a while, but also want to extend gratitude to our worship team who is with us today. You'll be seeing all of them momentarily, but our children and youth minister, Karen Gray, is with us. Our deacon, Reverend Robert Randolph, is here to offer a prayer. Our music minister, Ron Springs, uh, and our keyboardist, Catherine Hilliard, are with us today. And so I'm thankful for you all and for your presence here with us. We do want to welcome you to this worship service today. I do not have as many notes and updates for you this week as uh, we are staying the course in our social distancing, and uh, I know that you are as well, but we, of course, wanted to get together and record this worship service for you. So there's not really any updates as far as what we're doing as a church, but just a couple of notes to let you know about. First of all, we told you that on March 26th, we will make some decisions about whether or not to continue uh, in this uh, suspending of gathered events. And while I'm not making the decision official from the pulpit, I just want to let you know that it is likely we will continue for at least some time uh, with this sort of arrangement based on recommendations from our local, state, and national government. So we will likely not be gathering again uh, next Sunday and probably for a few just to make you aware of that, but we will send out any kind of official uh, notice uh, through our Facebook page, website, builder and other means of communication. We also want to make sure that we keep you informed and up to date regarding business operations, but also prayer requests. A little later in the service, we will uh, have a prayer time, but make sure you're keeping us up to date on how you're doing. Uh, if you, rather, Even if it's not about this COVID outbreak, if there are other issues where you're dealing with, please let us know. We want to care for you and serve you in whatever way we can. Our deacons are ready to do that as much as they can, as is your staff. So please keep us informed uh, in how you're doing. Once again, we invite you to take part in this worship service as much as you can. Uh, make sure that you are comfortable and prepared for worship the next hour. It would be helpful to have a Bible with you as well. And of course, you're always welcome to read along or sing along as you hear words that are familiar again. So once again, in this strange world that we live in today, we welcome you to worship and hope this is a meaningful time for you. Jesus calls us from the blindness of self-righteousness and the fear of change. Let us worship the one who alone has the power to heal our sight. May we see the truth of his life and follow his way regardless of what the world may say or do.
invite you to pray with me as we invoke God's blessings on our worship. God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you today asking your presence with us in troubling, yea, scary times. Some of us heard the stories from older relatives about the 1918 pandemic flu that killed many Americans. And some of us are even old enough and gray enough to remember the polio epidemic of the 1940s and 50s that paralyzed many and killed some here in Buncombe County. We see empty store shelves and closed businesses. We hear of friends and neighbors who have lost their jobs and fears by many others that they too will lose their job. We miss being together for worship. We miss hanging out with friends for coffee and hanging out at recreational activities. We long for assurance from our local, state, and national leaders that help is coming. But more than anyone else, we long for your peace and your strength, especially as we gather today in many different locations to worship together. Grant us, Lord, the peace that passes all understanding. As we pray, as we sing, and as we hear the Word of God given to our pastor to share with us. In the name of Him who is crucified, risen, and present today with us in spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This morning, we're talking about an extra offering. This is an offering for the Quaker Baptist Fellowship, offering for global missions. Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's mission is to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. At the forefront of the modern missionary movement, Baptists have been forming together for more than two centuries to make disciples of all nations. The fellowship supports long-term field personnel serving in 25 countries, 50 student.go interns, and hundreds of short-term mission teams annually. <clears throat> the special offerings that we're talking about last Sunday was the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, and again, this Sunday is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship offering for global missions. Both of these play a huge and important part in our, the lives of our missionaries across the globe, at home and across the globe. Um, I have to say that I am especially um, excited about the CBF Global offering because I was a student.go intern twice, and so I have personally uh, been blessed by this offering. So here's a face <laughs> to keep in mind. It's a little older, but still a face to keep in mind when you are praying about uh, this extra offering that um, you might be interested in giving to. Please remember when you do give to mark your envelope uh, because this would be a designated 
offering. Please be sure to mark your envelope for which um, offering or both that you want to give to, either um, the, you can put Annie Armstrong or CBS um, Missions offering on your envelope or however you turn it in by check. Um, so I hope that you will pray about this and just um, think about the people that you know, the people that visit our church, that regardless of the offering um, that benefit from your giving. Um, please, I hope you enjoyed the video last week about the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, and I hope you'll enjoy the video that comes after this um, this week about CBS Global uh, Mission Offering. In Togo, life is a struggle. It's the 11th poorest country in the world. We do a lot of subsistence farming. In the town, Lome is pretty developed. We have electricity, running water, internet. But when you go up country, it's a different story. People still live in mud huts. People do not have electricity. They're still pulling water out of a well. Hospital care is limited. When we came to Togo, we didn't have a program. We were interested in helping people develop not only their physical lives, but their mental lives and their spiritual lives. Togo House is a flexible, responsive ministry, which means that it belongs to the neighborhood. People in the neighborhood feel free to come to take part in all of the activities. The activities are free and they also are a part of planning what will take place there. Here in West Africa, there are so many needs. People began to believe that they had nothing and became a bit without hope. Asset-based community development does not start from a concept of scarcity. So always we're looking for ways to focus not on the scarcity, but what we do have and how to make the most of that and in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And this sense of abundance is what we want people to know about. God created you with a certain capacity. We're here to help you reach that capacity, to find out who God made you to be, because then you're gonna take off. who belong to the light. 
for it is the light that brings a rich harvest of every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Have nothing to do with the worthless things that people do, things that belong to the darkness. Instead, bring them out to the light. It is really too shameful even to talk about the things they do in secret. And when all things are brought out to the light, then their true nature is clearly revealed. For anything that is clear, clearly revealed becomes light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, and rise from death, and Christ will shine on you. Every few weeks in our worship service here at First Baptist Church, we allow this pastoral prayer to begin with the congregation voicing names of those they would like us to remember and pray for, uh, not just during this time, but in the days ahead. It's a way of lifting to God those who we care about and acknowledging before one another uh, that God cares for these individuals and the church family cares for these individuals. And so we're going to do the same thing momentarily. In just a few moments, I'm going to uh, be silent. Uh, the video will keep rolling, but that would be an opportunity for you to lift the names of those you would like us to remember today. Though people in other places may not hear the names that you lift at home, we know that God hears those requests. And that is what matters most, is that our Heavenly Father cares for us uh, even during the strangest of times such as we find ourselves in now. Before we enter that time, I do want to give you a few brief updates on those that we've been praying for in our church family before all of this hits, some that you've no doubt been thinking about and praying for. First of all, I want to share some good news that uh, Dom is now home, and he is recovering at home from his recent surgery. Of course, he will be isolated and uh, no one will be visiting him and he will not be getting out. But we just received word this morning from his family that he is home. He's recovering well. And so we give thanks to God for that. Yesterday, the family of Burley Leatherwood held a graveside service. There were not many there, um, but it was a very good time for us to reflect even briefly on Burley's life and to hear some scripture that meant a lot to her. Uh, to pray for her family uh, and lay her to rest. And so I simply uh, acknowledge that to you that uh, Burley Leatherwood uh, did have a graveside service yesterday. Her family was there. Down the road, when all this is over with, we will have a true celebration of life where you all will be invited to come to this place and to share stories and to worship God and to give thanks for the life that uh, was Burley Leatherwood. But just so you know, continue to pray for Anne and the rest of the family as they uh, remember her and grieve, but also celebrate her life. I think most of you have heard by now and are aware that Helen Merriweather passed away uh, last week. And so once again, we give thanks for her life uh, and we'll have a celebration of life at some point down the road as well. Keep her family and Joe's family in your prayers in these next few weeks. Uh, note their son Mark has the flu right now, so you will want to keep him in your prayers as he seeks to recover from that. But once again, uh, they will be grieving, but also remembering two lives well lived in these next few weeks. We will, of course, keep you up to date on any prayer requests that come our way. Our deacon chair, Bill Walker, does a wonderful job of sharing with us by way of email what's going on. And of course, we will let others who don't have email know what's going on as well. 
And so at this time, I'm simply going to become silent and allow you to lift the names and concerns of those who are in, on your heart this day. And in just a few moments, I will lead us in a prayer. Please lift the names of those you would like to remember today. God, it is strange not to be together in a corporate worship setting to hear the names that have just been lifted. But we certainly know some of the requests that our members lifted in front of their computers or tablets just now. Most importantly, we know that you hear those prayers, you hear the names that were lifted, and you hear the concerns of our hearts that we have simply kept to ourselves. We continue to lift all of these requests, and even those that do not come to mind, we pray that you would be intimate and close to those who are in greatest need at this time. We lift those who are directly affected by this coronavirus outbreak. For those who are grieving loved ones that were lost because of this virus, for those who have come down with this virus, those who are in intensive care, those who just have mild symptoms and everyone in between. We pray for parents and caretakers who are staying home from work, who are no doubt filled with anxiety of what the future holds. We pray for protection for them. We pray for comfort for them. And we pray for relief wherever that relief may come from. We pray for children who have had to cease learning at school, who are no longer taking part in community sports or arts. We pray that they would find fruitful learning and artistic expression in their homes. We pray for parents who have taken on the role of homeschool teacher who never thought they would find themselves in such a position. Give them wisdom and strength and patience in the days ahead as they use their kitchen tables and couches as places of learning. Lord, we continue to lift up our local, state, national, and world leaders who continue to find ways to combat this outbreak. For those places that have had successful containment, we pray for continued containment. For those that are experiencing outbreak and are having trouble controlling this disease, we pray that in the days ahead they would find creative ways to stop the spread as much as possible. And of course, we pray for divine intervention, for your healing and power to be present in this situation, to fill in the gaps that we simply cannot do ourselves. Lord, we pray for the church as the church continues to live out the call of Christ in this challenging time. We pray that worship would be meaningful and fruitful even behind a computer screen. We pray that discipleship and learning from your word would continue at home and in creative ways. We pray that there would be Christian community that would continue to be built even in remote distancing. 
may this physical distancing not lead to total isolation. May there be an abundance of phone calls, FaceTimes, emails sent in the days ahead so that we may continue to feel connected by your spirit. And Lord, challenging as it may be, may our mission continue. There are those who are hurting, those who are hungry, and those who are thirsty. Those who do not have shelter, those who are in prison, those who are facing financial ruin. We pray that the church would follow your leading and that we would find creative ways to be on mission in the days ahead. And Lord, we end this prayer by simply saying thanks. There is so much that we get caught up in today and the days ahead that we forget that there are still many blessings in our lives. The fact that we are here today to live and to breathe and to serve you is a gift in and of itself. And may we never forget that reality every day that you give us to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
right at your table if you are following along. But once again, today's gospel reading is a long one, but it is an important one. It is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus, called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is now that he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. For the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, I, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
The man answered, Here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm going to get very, very honest with you for a moment and assure you that this honesty is not a response to anything you have said or anyone in this sanctuary today have specifically said to me. But for many years of my adult life and ministerial career, I've heard two common, potentially related responses when introduced as a minister. And here they are. One is, you really don't look like a minister. Now, to this day, I still don't know what that's supposed to mean. Sometimes I hear it when I'm out and about or dressed casually, so maybe a minister is just supposed to be in a suit all the time. Even during the week, I'm not supposed to have jeans on or khaki. I need to have a suit on and a tie. Maybe that's what people mean when they say you don't look like a minister, because it's only on Sunday mornings and weddings and funerals that I tend to wear a tie. Or maybe there's an assumption that a minister needs to wear a collar or a stole or a robe even out and about in the world. So I may not have those classic marks of clergy that many traditions still utilize. I do not have a collar. I do not wear all black. I dress casually as most of you would as you go about your day. Maybe it's the result of the social situation I find myself in, like when people find me at a community event or a social event or a particular restaurant and surprised that a minister might be out and about in the world and not confined to the church as though I live uh, in some kind of an abbey or monastery. You don't look like a minister. They often tell me. And by the way, I'm okay with that. I'll take that as a compliment. One that doesn't sit so well with me is you're too young to be a minister. For years, that is the first response I got when I told someone that I was pastoring a church. And it's never meant as an insult. I, I get that. In fact, it's genuinely meant as a compliment, I believe, talking about my supposedly youthful appearance. It's never meant to be an insult. I, I don't take it that way. I've never taken it that way. But there are some immediate thoughts that go through my mind when someone says, you're too young to be a minister. 
It must mean that I'm not experienced enough to do this work well. Or that I don't have the wisdom to do this work that I've been called to do. Or that no one will ever take me seriously when I preach from the pulpit. Or when I hold a Bible study. Or give some theological insights. Or lead the leaders in the congregation in our church. If someone says, you're too young to be a minister, there is a small part of me that says they must believe I'm not capable of doing this. Now, I hear it less and less often as the years go on and the grays settle into my hair. And so now every time I hear someone say, you're too young to be a minister, I celebrate and say, thank you. I love you for saying that to me. But being defined by our external appearance is sort of a mixed bag, isn't it? Most of us wouldn't turn down an appropriate, classy compliment on something external. For instance, if someone says to me, your haircut looks good, and I, as far as I can tell, will not be getting a haircut for at least a few weeks. If someone says, your haircut looks good, that's great. Or if someone says, I like your tie, I take that as a compliment. Or if someone says, you look young, nowadays I take that as a compliment and relish in it. Of course, there are comments on our external appearance that we don't appreciate. And I will not go through those now because most of you have probably heard that about your appearance at some point in your life. I know I have. I'm guessing most of us share that at some point or another. Something said about our appearance that is not meant to be a compliment. But even with good intent, being defined by our external reality or appearance is not always desirable. One example is something that I see often with my daughters, who are three and six. The most regular compliment they get include, most of the time, you're just so pretty. You look so pretty. You look so pretty today. You may be asking yourself, Jeremy, what is the problem with that? I've given your daughters that compliment. What are you saying? Well, I know it's well-meant, and, and I agree. They are pretty girls. But perhaps more importantly, they are creative. They are smart. They're funny. They're compassionate. They're filled with grace. And yet they and a lot of women in our society and men don't often hear those kind of compliments or feedback on who we are. Being defined is tricky. Being defined especially by our outward appearance is especially tricky and a mixed bag. And I think that is true of today's scripture. In John 9, we read of a man born blind from birth, and that was what he was known for. He was the blind man. Now, there's no mention of his character or compassion the way he lives his life. He was simply the blind man. What's truly tragic is that everyone, including Jesus' disciples, thought there was something wrong with him. Make no mention of the fact that he couldn't see. There was something wrong with him and his community. Because only a blind person would be 
full of sin, or their family would be full of sin. And this was an example of God's wrath playing out on their physical being. They found something external about this man, and they defined him by it. Many of you have experienced something similar. I think all of us have been defined by something we're not particularly ecstatic about, something that we don't wish to be defined by. It may be a part of our story, but it's not the totality of the most important aspect of our being. As we move to the story, we find found one who came to affirm the man as something other than how the world chose to define him. Jesus defined this man by the role he would play in offering a glimpse of God's healing power and God's story in the world. In turn, Jesus healed the man, but also redefined him. No longer would the man be known as the blind man. The man would be known as one healed by Jesus. And so through a series of events, the Pharisees were so bothered by this man's healing, so bothered at the legal ramifications of what it means to do work on the Sabbath, that they began looking for Jesus and asking questions about him. This man's new identity in Jesus Christ was so transformative and so uncomfortable for the world around him that he was simply thrown out and discarded by the religious leaders and community. Through all of this, Jesus reveals two very important truths to us today through the Scripture. This man, because he believed, could truly see now. Yes, there was that physical transformation, but as we have heard time and time again, the miracles and healings of Jesus in the Gospel of John are not simply acts in and of themselves. Because the man was cured of his blindness, he, and hopefully we, can see this man for who he truly is. One who was changed and redefined because of Christ's presence in his life. He was healed and he could see, but it was a redefinition or a redefining of his heart that matters most. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they refused to be transformed. They had all they needed. They knew the right way to live legally. They knew you don't heal on the Sabbath, and so they could warn up this man who healed the blind man. The Pharisees refused to take off their own blinders, and so they were not transformed. They were not redefined. At the end of this passage, the Pharisees are the same individuals who they were at the start. Obsessed with right teaching, obsessed with right living. They couldn't see the fact that a man was healed of his blindness. They could only care about how their right law had been violated. The Pharisees had it all together. They were masters of the law. They were the privileged leaders of the world. So they could define 
me and you as they saw fit. They could define you as righteous. They could define you as a sinner. It was up to them. It wasn't up to you and your faith. It was up to the Pharisees, the powers of that community, to define you. That's what the powers of this world can do. In fact, it might even be their greatest power. The power to define you how they see fit. The power to give you a sign that you have to carry with you. The power to define you for the sake of the world. Jesus enters the scene and empowers us to transcend the labels of the principalities and the powers of the world placed on us so that we can instead be defined by Jesus. We can be defined by the goodness of Jesus that lives in us. We can be defined because we have been forgiven by the power of Jesus. We can be defined by our healing, perhaps physical, but most importantly, our spiritual healing that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. We can be defined because we are saved. We can be defined because we are blessed. We can be defined because we are called. We can be defined because we are loved. Not because of the descriptions that the world finds valuable. Youth, good looks, fashion, wealth. No, we are defined by something much deeper that transcends all of that. We are in a season of Lent that we have during this worship series called a spiritual boot camp or a boot camp for the soul. Part of a boot camp is to redefine yourself. If you have entered into some kind of boot camp, whatever form that takes, military, fitness, a marriage boot camp, or a spiritual boot camp, you are seeking something like transformation. And in many ways, you are seeking to be redefined yourself. For instance, if you were to join a fitness boot camp, the goal of the boot camp and your teacher's and leaders will tell you this, it is to redefine your fitness classification or to redefine however you are physically. But with Lent, the journey and the redefinition is about growing closer to Jesus in this short season leading up to Easter Sunday. We are making sure that it is Jesus who defines us. We are centering ourselves on that reality, not allowing anyone else to do the defining for us. And so during this boot camp, it is Jesus who defines you, not your external appearance. It is Jesus who defines you, not your physical ailment or mental illness. It is Jesus who defines you and not your wealth. It is Jesus who defines you, not your political affiliation. It is Jesus who defines you, not the fashion, do's, or don'ts. As we prepare to conclude this time, it's important to remember that you will be defined. It's not that the blind man did away with any kind of identification and simply faded in to the background. He took on a new identity. 
We can't have zero identity. We will be defined by something. And so will you be defined by the powers of the world, by what the Pharisees place on you, by what the empire places on you? Or will your journey lead to a redefinition that only points to the life-saving power of Jesus Christ? I'm going to close with a reading called Signs. And it speaks to how we define ourselves in Christ. Sign, a display, such as a letter board, used to identify or advertise or to post a command, warning, or direction. Have you ever stopped to think about all the signs that you've learned to recognize in your life? There are some signs you've been trained since childhood to recognize lips curved upwards with a smile of approval, a nose wrinkled in disgust, eyebrows raised in delight, shoulders slumped forward with weariness. We read these signs just as readily as we could any painted or printed ones. Strangers, friends, and loved ones they tell us about themselves, willingly or unwillingly, and we tell them about us. We might as well be carrying our own personal signs, not in protest, but in proclamation of who we believe ourselves to be. And these signs, they're not usually good. The tragedy is that we have allowed others to letter them with broad, thick strokes. What does the sign you carry say? I am disappointment. I will never be better. I cannot change. I am unlovable. I am broken. I do not play well with others. I am not worth your time. I am a waste of space. I am a failure. We hold them aloft for all to see, even though we sometimes forget we are carrying them. But for a moment, lower your sign and look at it closely. Just behind the bold lettering others have written for you, do you see what it says? You might, you might need more light to see. It's written in red and has been obscured by layers and layers of labels applied by ourselves and others. Can you read it? The words are written by the same hand that hung the stars. It's a love letter. And yours reads differently from mine, but it was composed and penned by the same Savior. Scrub away the graffiti that has kept you from seeing it. Read every word. Some of it will be just between you and the author, but I know a bit of what you will find in there. Words like these, you are my child, I created you, I am healing you, I am changing you, I knit you together in your mother's womb, I love you. Lift those words high, carry them for all to see. After all, others need to know too, Jesus loves me. This 
his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. 